Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Ah, my friends, welcome back to another incredible episode of The New Wave Entrepreneur. It's me, Daniel DiPiazza, and if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you go ahead and subscribe to this channel. Make sure you like this video and leave a comment below. I'd love to see you in the comments. I read all of them. And if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else, make sure you're subscribed on that platform as well. And you are please leaving a review. That will help me get new eyeballs to this show and really help us to build the community of this platform. Thank you in advance. And of course, if you haven't already checked out newwaveentrepreneur.com. That is where we're getting all the updates for everything I'm talking about, including the workshops we're doing. The next workshop is the Money Moves Workshop. This premieres uh, January 27th. And, and basically, it's a whole program on how to earn more, how to save more and how to invest more wisely, specifically for entrepreneurs and professionals. You can watch this and tune in live on January 27th and you can actually be a part of that workshop, participate and ask questions with our experts, or you can just get it streaming afterwards. You can check that out at newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash workshop. That's where we got the inspiration for this last uh, series of podcasts, which is this Money Moves Part 1, 2, and now we're on Part 3 today. That's what this is, my friends. Money Moves... And in this third and final installment of this podcast series, today we are talking about your portfolio setup. Portfolio 101, as they call it. Now, in my first episode of this series, I alluded to the point that we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be talking about what I think an ideal portfolio is. And I would say I'm not even there yet. I'm still working my way to what I would consider an ideal portfolio. But just as we talk about, you know, what's been important over these last few episodes, first, we talked about understanding the money game. We talked about the poor versus the rich mentality. We talked about knowing your numbers and financial hygiene. We talked about the power of compounding and why it's so important. Uh, we also talked about the, uh, the, I, just the basics around portfolio foundations. And we also talked about how to make more. That was the last episode we did, which was making more, how you can actually create more money to end up pouring into your, your, investment vehicle. You know, that's what this is all about. And so how do we, what exactly should we be doing with our investments? What exactly should we be doing with our money? Where should we be putting it? Well, the first thing I want to do is circle back on the the magic of compounding. And there is this rule. Now, I believe it's called the rule of, of seven, something like that. But this is the, I'm paraphrasing this rule, but this math works out because I just did it the other day. If you have an investment that is, uh, that is returning 10% interest, so 10% interest year over year, it would take about seven years for that income to double or for that initial capital to double. So if you are, you know, investing in the stock market and it's giving you back 10% every year over a period of seven years, you should have double what you started with. So if on year one, you started with a thousand dollars by year seven, you should have about $2,000 without doing anything. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot of money, but when you're talking about 
adding to that principal every year. So not just a thousand dollars and leaving it, but adding to the initial principal every year. And you're talking about the fact that although 10% is the average, there are certain investments you can uh, make, which will make much more than 10%. And over time, it really starts to add up. You will begin to see that the, the power of compounding really is that it, it's almost unpredictable, or I guess it's very predictable. It's almost unbelievable how much you can actually make. And I'm sure we've all heard of the the example of the penny, the, the compounding penny. And if you haven't heard of it, this is a great one to illustrate this, this principle. We'll talk about it briefly. A kid goes to his mom and says something along the lines of, or, or maybe it's that a mom goes to a kid. I forget which way it starts. But basically, uh, someone approaches someone else and says, I'll either give you $1,000 a day or I'll give you one penny and double it every day for 30 days. What would you, which one would you prefer? And of course, the average person, someone who hasn't thought about really what the compounding effect is would say, Oh, I'd love to just have a thousand dollars every single day. That sounds great. But what happens when you compound a penny by double every single day? Let's actually look at this. Maybe there's some sort of, uh, I can look at it through my calculator. Let's look at this. So let's say we have my calculator here and we start off. Let's see. All right. So we start off with. cents. So let's see, 0.01 cents on the first day, right? And then the second day, we're going to double it. Okay. So 0.1 becomes 0.01 becomes 0.02. So let's see, 0.02 the next day. Okay. Now what happens when you double it again? The third day, four cents. The fourth day, it doubles from four to eight cents. The fifth day, it doubles from Eight to sixteenth cent, sixteen, sixteen cents. The next day, thirty-two cents. The next day, sixty-four. The next day, dollar twenty-eight. The next day, two fifty. The next day, five twelve. The next day, ten. The next day, twenty dollars and forty-eight cents. The next day, forty dollars and ninety-six cents. What day are we even on now? We're like on day twelve here. Let me look at this. I'm doing this. I bet there's a. I bet there's a Google for this. Penny compounded for 30 days. Penny doubling for 30 days. Let's see here. Do we have the full... I'm pulling this up on Google for anybody who can see. Does anybody have an image of this? Aha. Here we go. So at day one, if you have one cent, by day four, you'll have eight cents. By day 13, which is right around two weeks, you'll have $40. By day 19 you'll have $2,621.44. By day 25, you'll have $167,772.16. By day 30, okay, you can have millions or multi-millions of people. I'm like looking through this Google example. But the whole idea here is, guys, compounding is serious. It happens quickly. We have the ability to take control over the money that we have by allowing it to compound over time. The thing about compounding, that's the most frustrating thing, is that it takes time. There is no quick way to do this, especially at 10%. It does take time. But what we want to do when we're coming up with an investment strategy is one, we only want to be investing the money that we can afford to put in there and not take out. Now, I've made this mistake a few times where I've started to invest money, but then I haven't really like gotten my cash flow all the way figured out. I still have things I need to pay for and I'm putting, I'm actually investing too much and not keeping enough cash flow around to pay what I need to pay. And then I'll have to take money out of the investment and put it into cash flow. And really what you want to do is even if you're investing less, 
if you just put it in and you never take it out, you never stop. That's what you really want to do. And of course, obviously there's retirement if that's what some of you are interested in. And there, let me just clarify this. You're never taking out more than the principal and you're not taking out, you're not taking out the full principal, which is the initial amount. So if you put $10,000 in there and you come back and in seven years, it's doubled to $20,000 and you haven't put anything else in there. If you pull out $10,000, you'll still have your initial investment in there, but you don't want to pull out the whole, all the interest and just leave the principal in there only. You want to pull out small amounts of profit over time. You want to pull out small bits of profit. You don't want to eat into that original 10,000 that you put in there and you don't want to pull out the whole thing because then it's going to lose the, the value of the compounding. But over time, you can take out profits depending on what the investment vehicle is. But you only want to, you only want to invest what you can afford to set and forget and what you can afford to completely lose all of it. And that goes, because of course that's a possibility. And everything should be taken here with a grain of salt. You know, this is all, um, this is all education and entertainment. And this is all for a kickoff point for your own research. And I probably should go back on all these different podcasts and say, this is not financial advice. This is not financial advice, but I'll say it again. It's not financial advice. So make sure that you are, make sure that you are doing your own research. And of course, again, as I, as I mentioned in the initial podcast, when we talk about understanding the money game, understanding and knowing your numbers and your financial hygiene, that's on you. You know, you can, uh, you can read books, watch YouTube videos, talk to advisors and other investors who are smart and learn from business people as well. But you have to do your own research and every situation is different. So take what I say with a grain of salt. What you say is the most important. But that being said, only put in what you can afford to keep in there and not take out. And that's how the wealth will really start to grow. Now, what do those specific types of investments look like? Let's talk about what an ideal portfolio would be. Well, the first one, obviously, we talked about crypto. And I don't want to go too deep into crypto on this episode because we've talked about that quite a bit. And we will continue to talk about that because I think that crypto is going to continue to be the best performing asset class, even through the volatility. And I think it will be our generation's gift to money. You know, um, the, the boomer generation had their, their special gift to money. And I would really say it was almost their parents and the, the great generation from the depression who went through World War II and got us out on the other side that set it up for the boomers to have such a prosperous financial, uh, contribution uh, to the world. I would say that Web3, crypto and blockchain are millennials gift to the world when it comes to money. So I am extremely bullish on crypto. I think it will continue to be the best performing uh, asset class in the history of mankind. And that being said, it's not the only asset class and should have more. So in addition to your crypto portfolio, I think you need to have stocks, also called equities. There are a few things that I want you to remember here. First of all, a lot of these Fortune 500 companies are already dedicating a portion of their money to crypto. They're already um, turning some of their assets into crypto. So if you look at, for instance, Tesla is the most famous and Tesla bought some Bitcoin in 2020 and 2021. And so that was a very famous uh, thing that they did. And it helped to pump the price of Bitcoin as well. And all that's great. And you just remember that when you're buying Bitcoin or when you're buying Tesla stock, rather, which was one of the best performing stocks, you know, the major tech stocks in the market. But when you're buying Tesla, you're inadvertently buying you're, you're, you're getting some exposure to Bitcoin. You're not buying Bitcoin, but you're getting some exposure to it. Any company that invests directly or indirectly in Bitcoin and you invest in them, you're getting exposure to Bitcoin. You're getting exposure to the crypto that they invest in. So if Tesla invests a chunk of their net 
their total their total net worth essentially as if it were a person, but their total value is in Bitcoin. In theory, you are holding a percentage of your Tesla stock in Bitcoin, or it will be a or the 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 share price of your Tesla stock that you own will be affected or could be affected by the price of Bitcoin. Because if Bitcoin goes down and there's a lot of Tesla, uh, Tesla's uh, capital that's locked up in Bitcoin, I don't know how much they bought, but their, their uh, reserves could go down. And so you could have an effect there. But I think it's actually a good thing because you don't have to invest in crypto to be getting exposure to it. And so if you're maybe a little bit scared of crypto right now, which I don't know why you'd be listening to this podcast, but if you are, just know that by investing in these top, these top tech companies, you are getting some exposure to that, that asset class. And so that's what I would, I would start thinking about. And so with, with your stocks, what do you have? Well, you have individual stocks and where should you buy them? You know, you can buy them via, the, well, there are different brokerages. I don't think you can buy them from the individual companies. I think it has to be through a brokerage, which is a bank. I don't think you can go on Coca-Cola and buy a Coca-Cola stock. I really don't think you can anymore. But you can go to, for instance, uh, TD Ameritrade, or you can go to Vanguard, which is the uh, brokerage that I use, or you can go to uh, Fidelity, or there are all these different brokerages. You can, you can go to, um, what else do they have? Uh, you know, um, Morningstar is like a, it's a, uh, well, that's a ratings index or an index rating. Uh, but there are all these different banks. I'm trying, I'm now struggling to think of investment bank names, but there are tons of different banks. Even, okay. I'll say one, it's not an investment bank, Robinhood. You can purchase shares of stock through Robinhood, although I wouldn't recommend them. In fact, I would say absolutely don't use Robinhood because of the, the scandals that they've been in over the past uh, couple of years, but they are an option. Um, I typically invest through Vanguard and I like investing through Vanguard because I really, I trust the company in terms of just their returns. If you look at their, the returns on their ETFs, uh, they're great over a period of, you know, many years. And so you can buy individual stocks through brokerages. Uh, you can open up an investment account. Um, Schwab is another one too, Charles Schwab. There are all these different investment brokerages you can open up an account with. Now you can buy individual stocks. One of the reasons why I liked Robinhood was because you can buy individual stocks just via your phone, which by the way, all of these brokerages now have pretty convenient apps. Robinhood was of course the best, uh, but uh, you could buy in individual stocks through Robinhood or you can also buy fractional shares, which this is something that's interesting because most people think, all right, well, a share of Amazon, for instance, is like $3,500 now. Now let's go back on our time machine. This is why investing is so cool and why compound interest is real. So if you'd invested a thousand dollars into Amazon in 1997, I believe when they IPO'd, shares were eighteen dollars per share. So you would have had if you invested a thousand dollars and it was eighteen dollars per share, you'd have about fifty-five shares. Now they've had a few stock splits since then, which means that they are just adding to the number of total shares available, but the value is staying the same essentially. Or you're keeping your 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 portfolio value stays the same, but they're increasing the number of shares. That's what a stock split is. And so I believe now they've had three total stock splits, maybe four, but at least three total stock splits since 1997. And now they're worth thirty-five hundred dollars per share. So those. And I, well, and I believe if you had if you had fifty five shares at eighteen dollars back in nineteen ninety seven, you'd have something like three hundred fifty shares. Now let me look. Let me look at this math. Three fifty. Yeah, you'd have something like thirty, like like three hundred fifty shares. When it splits multiple times, your shares increase each time, but your overall portfolio value stays the same. So that one thousand dollars that you invested in nineteen ninety seven at eighteen dollars per share. 
would now be worth $1.225 million from doing nothing, from doing nothing, from just letting the money sit there. And that's the value of, of compound interest. And that's why stocks over time that are performing well and continue to perform well really, really outpace the market. Now, you can pick individual stocks and you can buy a stock of Amazon now for a full price. It's like 3,500 bucks, somewhere around there. It goes up and down and you can buy a full share of Amazon. That's great. But a lot of people don't have an extra $3,500 laying around. I mean, Amazon and Ethereum were competing for, uh, for competing for share price for a while, although it's crazy because Ethereum has only been around since 2015 and Amazon has been around since uh, 1997. So a big difference there. Uh, one is moving very quickly. And what I liked about Robinhood, and I don't recommend them anymore, but I, I will talk about this. What I liked about them is that you could buy fractional shares. So fractional shares, basically you could buy, if you don't have a whole 3500 bucks, you can still spend $1,000 on Amazon shares and you'll get, you know, 0.3 of Amazon shares. You'll get a third of a share. That's great. Now, I think what's really happening there is that you're actually buying from, I think technically you're, I don't know if you're buying from Amazon or I think you're buying from Robinhood technically. And Robinhood is purchasing it on your behalf, I think. I'm not sure how it works. With crypto, that's definitely how it works. And the reason why I don't like uh, Robinhood Besides the fact that they had that whole GameStop scandal and AMC scandal over the summer in 2020, read that, read, read more on that if you're interested. But part of the reason why I don't, uh, don't like them is with their crypto move. Basically, they weren't allowing you to access your private keys. They were allowing you to buy Bitcoin, for instance, but you couldn't send it or receive any Bitcoin to your, um, to your Robinhood account. All, the only thing you could do was cash the, cash the Bitcoin out, which what that means is that Robinhood was essentially holding on to your Bitcoin and not allowing it to leave their custodial account, which means that you don't actually own the Bitcoin. They say, uh, not your keys, not your coins. So it's like if someone says, sure, it's your car, but just call me when you want to get into it. And you got to call someone for them to start your car or for them to open up your house. Is that really your house? Is that really your car? So that's kind of what Robinhood was doing with their crypto. At some point, they may add functionality to send and receive crypto on their wallets, but I just don't like how they did it. Um, there, so I, I don't trust them, but I do like the idea of fractional shares. All that to be said, because stocks and equities go up and down uh, at a less volatile rate than crypto, your overall portfolio, including crypto and stocks, is going to allow there to be less short-term and medium-term volatility because the slower movements of the stocks generally will balance out the quicker movements of the crypto. There's going to be less fluctuation in the stocks. Now, one thing I think would be really great is for you to look into ETFs. So what are ETFs? ETFs are exchange, uh, exchange traded funds. These are electronically traded mutual funds, essentially. A mutual fund is a basket of funds that are essentially handpicked by a manager or by a collection of managers. And they say, oh, these are the funds we think are going to do the best and we are going to predictably outperform the market. The market performs at a standard, you know, seven to 10% return uh, over time. And we think we can do better than that. Now, typically what they'll do is they'll, they'll create these indexes of funds and let's say they'll have you know, 20 different funds or I'm sorry, 20 different stocks or picks that they'll put in that mutual fund. And they'll all be from a different theme. It could be technology. It could be industry. It could be medical. It could be, you know, biological. It could be, uh, you know, it could be, you know, hard materials or whatever. And these are things that get, these are, these are companies, companies that sell those products get placed into these mutual funds and certain percentages of their portfolio go to each company. So like, if I really believe in one, like, let's say for instance, I'm doing a tech, a tech mutual fund. Well, if I have Amazon, I, I definitely have to have Amazon in there. And then they would be maybe 
10% of my mutual fund portfolio if I was a, a mutual fund manager and I would just create my portfolio and then my clients would buy into that portfolio and as those companies did better proportionally and as that fund did better, they would get their returns back. Now, mutual fund managers charge a percentage of uh, to, to manage the fee, to manage the, the portfolio on top of the actual, on, on top of the, the interest itself. So you're going to pay a fee. So like you're going to, you, you have to pay obviously money to buy the stocks and you got to pay for the management of the stocks. Now, typically what is found, this is fairly true. I would say this is the majority of the time true. Mutual funds don't outperform the stock market. They don't, perf- they don't outperform the averages. You'd like to think that they do, but usually the fees, are pretty high and they don't outperform by much. So they're not always going to be as good of a look uh, or as good of a an option for you, in my opinion, as ETFs. Now, ETFs are essentially the exact same thing as mutual funds. They are baskets of uh, stocks and assets and they are combined to create a a basically a portfolio of different stocks or bonds or assets. And But the difference between an ETF and a mutual fund is that a mutual fund is picked and managed by a person and an ex, uh, exchange-traded fund is just basically done electronically. So it's a mutual fund with no people <laughs> attached to it. And I have some really uh, some, some index funds that I love. I particularly love Vanguard mutual funds. So Vanguard has two funds I really like. They're called VOO and VOOG. So VOO, which you can check out. If you check out, if you just Google, if you type, uh, you know, VOO performance, you can see Yahoo stocks and different uh, stock tracking um, sites have uh, performance ratings. You can see over time in the last 10 years, VOO has returned something like uh, 17% in the last 10 years. The, the stock market average is 10%. VOO has performed at 17%. And it really, VOO is just tracking the top 500 companies. It's just tracking the S&P 500 in America. So, but but it's not just the tracking the same five. So, so for instance, like let's say you had like a a a Vanguard index fund that tracks the S and P and a Charles Schwab index fund that tracks the S and P. In theory, they're basically tracking the same companies. They're both tracking the top five hundred companies. But what we're really looking at is how they allocate what percentage of each company goes into that portfolio. So Vanguard might say, "All right, well, in our top ten, our, our top ten uh, stock picks for this ETF." are like Amazon, Apple, Nvidia, Tesla, whatever. And the the percentages of the portfolio that those stocks get really I think is what determines how well these these products do. I think generally speaking though, if you're talking an S&P index fund, they're all going to do pretty well. It's just shades of 10% or above. But 17% is fantastic over the last two years. In VOOG, which is their growth fund, which is the tech fund, I believe it's on slightly better, although it's younger. And whereas VOO is on the entire marketplace, VOOG is just on tech. So there's just more focus on tech, more focus on uh, big tech. And again, I'm doing that because I really believe in tech. Even though I think it's like draining our lives and it's probably going to turn us into avatars and it's pretty invasive and horrible in a lot of ways. I am also the new wave entrepreneur and I believe that's happening inevitably. And so we should be uh, getting the upside from it as well. I, I talk about this, you know, in my, in my writing because I feel conflicted at times about how hypocritical it is. But, you know, I really, really hate Facebook. I am not a Zuckerberg fan. I'm not a Facebook fan. I'm not an Instagram fan. And yet I use all of these things for my personal life on such a regular basis that it's hard for me to say I'm not a fan. You know, I, I use a Facebook product every day, you know, multiple Facebook products. I use Instagram, Facebook, and WhatsApp every day. Every single day I use them to talk to people in community. 
communicate. I couldn't really exist without them. I certainly could, but I'd have to find solutions to them. And right now, they, their absence would leave a hole. So it's not that I couldn't survive without them, but their absence would leave a hole. I also invest a lot of time in these products, and I also invest a lot of money in these products from a perspective of being an ad buyer because I buy ads and from a perspective of just an investor because I invest in these kind of companies through things like ETFs and individual stocks because they make money. But I also don't agree with a lot of what they do. And so it comes, you start to think, where's the line? If I don't agree with what this company is doing, but I also am a consumer and I use them all the time, should I be investing in their stocks? Because I'm already investing my time. Like if I were to stop investing in, if I were to stop investing my my personal money in Facebook and making a return because I didn't believe in their ethics, wouldn't it also follow that I would have to stop posting on them and I would have to stop giving them ad money? Right? Because if I don't believe in Facebook's ethics, I wouldn't want to contribute to them in any way possible. So I wouldn't be giving them my content and I wouldn't be giving them my ad dollars, but I'm giving them both. So it doesn't make sense for me to give them those two things, which really only benefit them. Yes, I get the reach with their platform, but I don't make any money from being on the platform. And I, you know, the ad dollars, uh, they are certainly getting a lot of ad dollars from me. And I sometimes make money back, usually make money back, but oftentimes, the, the house is always winning. So it doesn't really make sense for me to not invest in their in their actual company because I use it so much already. Although I do feel conflicted. But ETFs, I think, are fantastic buys. And last time I checked, the VOO fund, I believe, uh, ETF was at, is like four, $430 per share. And the the VOOG is at like 230 bucks, 250 maybe. Which, think about it from our example that we gave earlier. If you bought one share of VOOG now and it went up at 10%, only 10% each year for the next for the next seven years, in seven years, you would have, you know, 800, 900 bucks from doing nothing, from just buying that one share, that share would be worth about $900 if the stock market continues to progress the way it has. Now, if it goes at the way that VOO, which is the fund we're talking about, continues to go, continues to grow, and it grows at about 17% over the next 10, over the next three years, it would double about three and a half, right? Because it's almost double the growth rate of 10%. So it's like, you know, instead of it being seven years for the double, probably it would double in like three to four years. So let's say in four years rather than seven, you'd have about $900. And if you keep investing, it keeps growing. So you see how that works. So crypto is a no-brainer. Stocks are a no-brainer. Listen, I would also have real estate in my portfolio. This also is included in my ideal portfolio. Now, this is what I don't have right now. I don't have any real estate. And real estate's pretty cool, man. I started looking into um, wholesale real estate. So what is that? That's when you are essentially playing middleman to get into the real estate game. So what you do is you um, you can find houses, homes that are in foreclosure or pre-foreclosure, homes that are that haven't been paid, uh, that are, you know, that are the owners might want to get out of them. You say they're, they're motivated sellers and you can find them through public records and you call them up and say, Hey, I see that your, you know, your house is in, in foreclosure or about to be in foreclosure. And so you owe some money and I would be happy to come in and pay you, you know, a nice chunk of money in exchange for your house to get you out of this stupid debt situation and just free you up and give you some cash. And what you're doing essentially is you're, you're playing middleman. You're looking to see to find someone who will take a cash payment that is at or below market value. And then what you do is once you get them to agree, you go and you find a motivated buyer, someone who wants to buy a property at an investment. Of course, you could buy it yourself if you wanted to, but you're looking to connect them with a buyer. And that buyer is a cash buyer, someone who usually wants to invest. They they do fix and flips, things like that. There are tons of these. I mean, this real estate community is huge. If you get involved, you know, there's tons of people. And basically you say, all right, well, I have this house 
The market value is X. I got them or they agreed to sell it to me or I have it under contract. You say I have under contract for Y and that value should be at or below market value. And then you say, well, you know, it really should be below market value because your motivated buyer is going to want to buy it at a good price for them. So you're going to want them to buy it, you know, or they're going to want to buy that sometime somewhere around market value as well. But you're going to want them to pay, pay maybe more a little bit, but you want to find that happy middle in between. So let's say that you... Let's say that you were able to uh, to get the house under contract for a hundred thousand dollars, even though it was worth you know one hundred and thirty thousand dollars on the books, according to the the what the the area says, what the what the averages in the, the area say. So you got it for a hundred thousand, even though it was worth about one hundred and thirty. And then you know you go to a motivated buyer and you say, all right, I got this house, and you know I can I can give it away to you for you know a hundred and 125 and they say, uh, 125 is way too high. The market value is only 130. I'm about to put money into it and you haggle, you haggle, you haggle. And you know, they have to put some repairs into it. They take a look around and they realize, all right, well, the best I can do is a hundred and, you know, 117. So you, it was worth 130. You know, you paid a hundred for it. They, they, they paid 117. So what happens? You know, the motivated seller who was getting out of this debt sells it to you for a hundred. You get that under contract. You go back to the motivated buyer. You say, all right, house is ready. They sign on the dotted line. They pay you the 117. You take the 100 from that 117 and you pay the motivated buyer or the motivated seller, the person who's in distress with that 100, you pocket the 17. And so you made 17 grand for basically negotiating between the buyer and the seller and being that wholesaler in the middle. That's a way to get into the real estate business. And that's pretty awesome, man. You can do that all the way up to apartment buildings. My personal vision for my real estate empire is to build multiple, not necessarily build. I don't want to be a builder, but I would love to be a landlord. And I specifically want to own apartment buildings. And maybe I will build something one day, but I specifically specifically want to build apartment buildings. I think multifamily is the way to go. Now, I don't even have a single family property yet. So most likely what I would do or what I, what I am doing is buying three to five single family homes and understand what that process is, taking a few years, getting some single family homes and then moving into multifamily. So that could be duplex. Duplexes are great because you can actually buy a duplex and then you can rent out another side of the duplex, the other, the other side of the duplex, and you can get the person who you lease that duplex side to, to pay for your rent, which is your mortgage. So you can get them to pay for their rent and your rent, which is the mortgage of the entire place. If you're doing your numbers correctly. And that way, basically someone is paying your mortgage for you while you're living there, which is awesome. And then eventually you can, after one year, I believe, I think it's six months to one year with this duplex thing, uh, you legally can then move out, get another tenant to fill that spot and just keep the cycle going. So it's pretty awesome. Um, then, you know, three, three units, four units, five units, small apartment buildings. You know, if the numbers work out in a good area, especially when it's growing and developing, you know, these things can create some really nice cash flow and they're great assets. And, um, as we think about the assets in your portfolio, let's think about just liquidity. You know, the most liquid assets you could have in your portfolio is cash. And I have this in my notes here, but. I mean, this isn't going to be in your investment portfolio. This is going to be in your savings account. Uh, it could be in your, I mean, yeah, it's going to be mostly in your savings account. Now, I don't want to have too much money in my savings account because it's just, it's losing money essentially, but it is extremely 
uh, accessible. So you want to keep enough money in there where you can access it quickly uh, if you need it, but that you're not losing money by parking an, a, a large amount of cash in your savings account. So I would say have some in savings. They say have three to six months in savings. I don't even think I would have that much. I would think I would have I think I would have two months in savings and I would have more money than that, but I wouldn't keep it all in, in the bank like that. I just don't think it does well in the bank. It just interest doesn't, doesn't do it justice. Um, now we're talking as pure cash here, but if we want to go slightly crypto, I would invest that cash that you're not going to be planning on spending or putting into any type of other asset. I would put that into a stable coin personally. I might put that in a stable coin like, um, like, well, Terra, Terra Luna, Terra is the coin. Luna, Terra is the stable coin. Luna is the, is the crypt, is like the, the community token essentially, but I would put it in Terra. I would put it in USDC. I would put, I would stake, I would stake it in something. USDC doesn't have very good interest rates, but I would stake it in something that has great interest rates. You know, even if I was going to stake it in like a Solana and just stake it at 10% and move on, you know, so I would not keep that much in cash, but cash is part of the portfolio. And the reason is too, is because, you know, every time you're moving in crypto, you have to liquidate something, you know, it could be counted as a, as a capital gains and your taxes. It's, um, there are, you know, you might have to pay exchange fees. There's all these different things when you move money to and from liquidity. So cash is just instantly there. You can move it from your bank, from your savings to your bank and spend it. So real estate is next on my radar. You know, that's something that I'm really looking into, uh, this year. My, my main, Focuses for balancing my portfolio this year are uh, moving more money into stocks. So obviously still focusing on crypto, but moving more money into stocks for the ones I really like. Also, you know, just going back to stocks, there are so many cool things. You know, uh, there's AR, which is augmented reality. There's VR, virtual reality. Um, there's a, there's uh, Internet of Things. There's all these different things um, that I think are just so cool that I don't want to pass up the opportunity to invest in them. Uh, Roblox, you know, robotics. Um, but at the same time, they're not crypto projects. Although I think a lot of these popular stock uh, or equity companies, equity-based companies will become crypto companies at some point. That is something I believe in. Now, again, thinking about the, thinking about your portfolio in general, I think there is um, a great opportunity for you to stay, stay balanced and, uh, protected while also growing at a quick rate. And that's why I like the idea of having crypto as a focus, but also balancing it with stocks. You know, having those, I would say, um, more liquid investments combined with some things that are maybe a little bit less liquid, like real estate. And then thinking about things that are just more traditional savings vehicles. 401ks and IRAs. Uh, a 401k is a vehicle that you would, uh, get from a job, a nine to five, and it's basically like a mutual fund that's funded through your job, um, that sometimes they'll match what you, uh, what you add, sometimes you just put a percentage that you want of your paycheck to go into that investment, which is great um, because it just does it for you. You don't think about it. Um, IRAs are something that you do for yourself. It's just government savings plan. It's tax deferred savings. These are also good ideas. I mean, again, if you're going to have cash on hand, you might as well have it in a cash deferred savings account. And actually, we're talking about this at our Money Moves Workshop. My uh, friend and business advisor, financial advisor Scott Dunlap is going to come in and he's going to talk about IRAs and just financial portfolio strategies in general. And this is one of his strategies, even him being on part of that new wave. You know, IRAs still have their place. And so that's more of like, again, of a, of something that you just kind of set it and forget it. And then life insurance. And life insurance is something that isn't a value that goes in terms of a dollar amount on your portfolio, but you can use it for cash. You can use it for uh, as, as an asset. And in fact, with whole life insurance, which 
I have a whole story about this and I'm not going to go into it. This is maybe for another time, another day, but you can use whole life insurance as a bank. There's a great book called, um, the infinite banking, uh, the infinite banking theory. And it is by oh, this old guy. What is it called? Uh, let's see. Yes. The infinite banking system or the infinite banking concept by R. Nelson Nash. This is a book that a client of mine told me about, uh, years ago now and it changed my, my life on how I saw compounding money and insurance. Basically with whole life insurance, you can use it as an asset and it's, it's great because they're, um, it can't be listed as something that can be taken in bankruptcy or in a divorce. You, if you have a whole life insurance policy, as opposed to just a term life insurance policy, you can access that cash as cash value while you're alive. You don't need to wait till you're dead and you can take out loans against that policy. So over time, the money that you contribute to your policy creates cash value. If you've been contributing for a few years and maybe you got $10,000 of value built up in that policy, you can call your insurance company and say, I want a $10,000 loan, loan it to myself. You can loan yourself money from that policy and you can pay that policy back over time, you know, at your choosing. And basically what you can do is you can use that money, for instance, to buy real estate or to buy, a, to put money down on a piece of real estate. And then when someone else is in that piece of real estate and paying the mortgage, they're essentially paying back the loan that you took out for yourself, right? And what's so great is that you don't have to have a bank approve you for a loan if you're loaning the money to yourself. So rather than going to a car dealership and getting financed by their in-house bank or by some, you know, by Wells Fargo, whoever, you can finance it yourself using your own insurance policy as a loan and as collateral. And um, it's pretty, pretty incredible, pretty ingenious. And uh, the cool thing is too, when you, if you cancel your policy, you don't need to pay back the loan. It's your money. It's your money. Um, and so the, it's, it's a great compounding system. It compounds slower than other things. It's not the most liquid because you can't, you're not going to be able to get all the cash out of it at once. It has a, has a, a cash value that takes longer to accrue, but it definitely is an instrument and a vehicle. Um, and actually when I think about these, these different portfolio elements, so I have cash. So really, really going from most liquid to least liquid. Cash is the most liquid. Uh, I would say crypto and stocks are both the second second most liquid. You can liquefy them fairly quickly, but there are some steps and there are some fees. The the third least liquid would be real estate because you have to sell it. You know, there are different people involved in it and it, you can't just make it happen overnight. Then 401ks and IRAs are potentially even less liquid because you have to either wait till you retire or get fired to access them. I mean, you can access them early. You can access them early. You can, but there's a lot of fees and they're meant to be stayed in place for a long time. And then the last one, the least liquid one would probably be life insurance. And again, you can take cash value from that policy, but it's, you know, it's meant to go off when you die. So in that way, it's not as liquid, but from cash, crypto, stocks, real estate, you know, individual retirement accounts, tax deferred savings and life insurance. These are all investment vehicles. And of course, these are not the only investment vehicles, but that's, you know, that's six pillars essentially of a strong and robust financial portfolio. And even if you didn't know anything else, even if you never learned anything else, just doing some research into all these different areas is going to help you to understand where you want to shine. And you don't even have to invest in all these. This just gives you some, some balance though. So if one area isn't doing well, the other area is still there to support it. And it will give you some different coverages in different situations. 
Now, of course, thinking back to how we started this whole series, we talked about in part one of this whole Money Moves podcast series, Rich vs. Poor Mindset. We went through all the, the foundational stuff, the ideas of compounding, the ideas of what your portfolio should consist of. And then we went to talk about making more and how you can dial up your your uh, what you're already doing by just creating more money in the job or business you already have or starting something completely new. And now we're talking about once you're starting to make more money, this is part three now, what you would put in that portfolio. So I hope this was a really good overview. I mean, this is what we're talking about at the Money Moves Workshop, which is happening in January 27th. If you have liked today's episode and you've also listened to the other two that we've gone over, it's about an hour and a half worth of content, about an hour and a half worth of things uh, that we've talked about when it comes to really getting your financial underpinnings, uh, you know, in order and not only the foundations, but also some advanced things to start really building this wealth for you. If you want to learn this, this is what we're talking about as a group. We are the new wave. We are part of the new guard, but even so, we must learn these foundational strategies. Crypto is great. Understanding this new wave is great. Web3 is where it's at and understand the funda- the foundation, the fundamentals so that you can build on a strong, strong base and just have, uh, you know, just really have the wealth that you're looking for. So I'd highly recommend you check this out. Uh, we're going to be going deep into this stuff. It's me plus guest lecturers. Uh, we're going to be doing um, January 27th for our premiere date. We're going to have a live workshop on 27th, which you can attend live and ask questions to, or you can watch it streaming at your convenience. It's coming out January 27th. You go to money, uh, some money moves to come. That's actually, I should buy that. It's newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash workshop to learn more about the money moves workshop. Uh, I know you're going to enjoy it. I hope that you enjoy today's deep dive. If you love this, make sure that if you're watching this on YouTube right now, You're hitting that like button. You're hitting that subscribe button. You're leaving a comment. And if you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever your favorite platform is, make sure you are subscribing to the podcast there as well and leaving a review or rating on the platform of your choice because it really does help us to get this message out here, to get, to, to help people to understand this shit so that we can progress, man. You know, this is, this is what we're here for. I'm not just talking for my own benefit. I'm talking so that you'll spark something in your brain and make a change and you pass it on to someone else. That's how it works. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I certainly enjoyed putting it down for you. Much love. I'll talk to you soon. The water is warm. The tide is rising. Let's go ahead and surf this new wave. I'll catch you on the other side. 